everybody. Welcome to Breakfast All Day. Christy, sorry we're a day late, but not hopefully a dollar short. Uh, we had some tech issues on Friday, but we're here now, and we have so much news to Hi, we have so much news, and in theory, there might be breaking news as we're recording this because Trump's second impeachment trial is going on as we speak. Although now they have voted to call witnesses, which yes. drags the whole process out longer. Um, profiles encourage all around. So, hey, you know what? The longer this takes, the more stuff that keeps surfacing. So, like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not in a hurry on this one. I yes. just want and somebody to pull an Al Pacino from uh, oh, <laughs> whatever that right? justice for all. I'm out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. This whole system's out of order. That'd be awesome. This is actually more like my cousin Vinny. If we're going to have any kind of courtroom <laughs> movie to compare it to, his personal. What's a ute? Who, yeah, who are the two Utes? His personal injury lawyer is not exactly doing a bang up job here. <laughs> but we have, but speaking of, um, most of our news, most of our big news this week has to do with um, celebs behaving badly. And so the fact that we have Trump on trial again makes absolute sense. Um, the main thing that kept breaking and changing as the week went on, one of them is. Gina Carano being fired from The Mandalorian and from Lucasfilm in general for, I mean, there's a whole history of, you know, crazy right-wing stuff that she has tweeted about and making fun of transgender people and pronouns and making fun of masks. But this most recent thing is like some Holocaust denial kind of. Um, oh, it's it's what she tries to do is to equate current Republicans with Jews in Nazi Germany, with the idea being like, oh, the government's like, you're being taught to hate us now. And next you'll be rounding us up. And it's like, wow, that's the comparison you want to make? This is your great historical metaphor, Gina Carano? Yes. I don't think so. She might have taken too many blows to the head when she was still an MMA fighter. However, um, this is, uh, you know, finally it was too much for Lucasfilm. They fired her, but she has landed on her feet because she has signed a film production deal with Ben Shapiro, a quote-unquote, as Matt says, mm -hmm. uh, um, with the Daily Wire and their production company. She says they can't cancel us if we don't let them. Well, first of all, she wasn't canceled. Um, yeah, that's not cancellation. That's, uh, that's, that's called consequences. And I understand that there's a lot of people on the right who don't know how to spell <laughs> consequences and cancel culture is easier to spell, um, but it's called consequences. Here's the thing. Like if you are in a hot show and I'm sure that there's something in the contract because pretty much any contract these days with, people in the public eye has something about a morals clause or if not a morals clause, because that's probably the wrong thing to refer to here. Something about like making the show look bad. If you're making the show and the company look shitty because you're out there dog whistling, guess what? They get to let you go. Right. Yeah, and I mean, like this, this same week, incidentally, Pedro Pascal very openly came out in loving support of his trans sister. Well, and so it's like, these, these are the choices we have right now. Yeah. And, and to a certain extent, like this is a lot different than Trump and whoever and the my pillow guy getting booted from Twitter, right? This is a lot different. She, I mean, but seriously, like people are gonna be like, oh, she doesn't have First Amendment rights. No, no, no. She can still nobody's nobody's deplatformed her, right? It's just that, yeah, we don't want you on the show anymore because you're a dick, right? And guess what? Shows get to do that. 
Um, and and as our friend Matt Seitz pointed out, like when when people rail about, oh, it's you know because I'm conservative, uh, you know, no one's ever canceling or or like you know dealing with people because of their views about taxation or regulation. Right. <laughs> you know, it's always because they said something racist or anti-trans or anti-science or just some in some way or other they have made their brand toxic, and that somehow now equals it's because she's a conservative, and conservatives are the ones saying this. So it's like, all right. If this is what conservative right. means. Then, right. So if conservative, yes. if conservatism means bigotry, okay, good to know. Um, it shouldn't. No, you guys, Gina Carano, she just, she just wants smaller government. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, like, really about this power going back to the States. That's her, that's her main line. Here. I will say there's a little bit of me that wonders like, was she in a long-term contract she wanted to get out of? Because that's how you get out you of have, it. Right. You I mean, have to wonder now, now granted, you know, they could have just bought her out of the contract, but maybe they, they she did to- say actually that apparently at the November, December, big, like Disney stockholders meeting, originally the plan was they were going to announce this Mandalorian spinoff about Cara Dune starring Carano. But by that point she had already like, you know, fouled the water right. so badly. They were like, yeah, no. We well, and that's the thing. Maybe she didn't want to do it. Yeah. Why, why would you not want to be part of such a hugely popular property? That's my, that's my only question. What, you know, what, what else does she have going on that's better than, than being a star of The Mandalorian? What's know. hilarious is that the same people who decry cancel culture and, oh, it's because blah, 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 are the same ones who are now trying to be all hashtag cancel Disney Plus. And it's like, well, okay, which is it? <laughs> which is it that you like, want? Okay, you then know? stop watching Disney. Okay. Anyway. Sure. It's like that. Yeah, there's that. And then also the other main thing has to do with Josh Whedon this week. And, Ooh, yeah. and the main thing is that um, Charisma Carpenter posted this whole long thing about his cruelty while she was working on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. And um, this came out of a whole other investigation of his treatment of Ray Fisher. Right. On, on Justice, the, League. Justice League. And uh, and about how, you know, just how cruel he was and how, you know, she was pregnant and he suggested that she get an abortion and then after she had her baby, he fired her and how 20 years later, she's still dealing with a lot of the emotional. Um, he called her fat when she was 126 yeah. pounds and four months pregnant. Yeah, I mean, she, clearly she's like five foot eight. I mean, she's a tall, she was a cheerleader for the San Diego Chargers. She's a tall athletic woman. So, um, and all these people who worked with her back then, including Sarah Michelle Geller and Amber, Amber Benson. Benson and uh, um, Michelle Trachtenberg, who said that she was that he was never allowed to be in a room alone with her when she was a teenager. Right. Yes, she was for... she was the younger sister on Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's all it's all creepy. And uh, and other people have come out saying that, you know, the idea of, of his casual cruelty absolutely makes sense. Like he would revel in making female writers cry in the writer's room. So um, setting actors against each other to, for, to, for, to, for his favor. So that is happening. Um, Also this happened after we go ahead, Matt. So, yeah. And you know, I've, I've seen some people say stuff like, well, where's the proof? And, And it's all just hearsay. And it's like, I find it telling that, that no one, that I've seen, I mean, it's not that it hasn't happened, but it's not like we've seen a bunch of people because the news would cover this, the media would cover this. Nobody stepped up and be like, oh no, no, he's fine. Like I, that's, right. no, 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 he's he's great. Uh, yeah, he's he's fine. And I don't know where that comes from. And, you know, maybe everybody's against him because he's successful and, you know, but really he's a great sensitive guy and that's not been my experience. Like, 
Yeah, and this goes, back, that. <laughs> this goes back to his ex-wife writing that whole long piece for the rap several years ago about how on the one hand he sort of would he was his his whole brand was built on like I'm a feminist and I respect strong female characters and then you find out that like he cheats on his wife and he like you know is this monster to the women who work for him and it's like yeah it's very it's it, it's super creepy Yes. Um, also, speaking of cancel culture, Lou Dobbs was canceled. As is right after we stopped, <laughs> after we finished recording last week, Lou Dobbs' show on Fox Business got canceled. He has been <laughs> the most ardent, fervent Trump propagandist. Um, yeah. And he was and specifically gone. named in the Dominion lawsuit, right? He was. He and Marina Barromo and, and Judge Jeanine Pirro. Judge Jeanine were all named in. The Smartmatic, the oh, second, okay. the right. $2.7 billion Smartmatic lawsuit. So for now, Maria Bartiromo and Judge Nee still have shows and jobs, but mm. anyway. Okay, so that's a legit cancellation. Like that's super old school, right? <laughs> like, but I mean like legit on both sides. Like, yes, you can call that a cancellation, but also like, hey, if, if producing your show costs us more in legal fees than we're making from the advertisers, bye. Right. Well, again, it's a thing, you know, right wing types in, in situations like sort of like my First Amendment rights. And it's like, yes, you have the right to say things that you want, but you don't have the right to a show. You don't have the right to a job and you don't have the right to escape all consequences for the thing that you said. Mm -hmm. Well, and, especially also, that it's, and, and that's what the Trump laws, that's what this whole case in, Senate, in the Senate is about right now. It's like his, his actual incitement of people, his creating this case about, you know, the election being rigged. It's like, yeah, these are all things you said and they led to january 6th so it's like it's not like this stuff just goes out into a void and doesn't matter or have you know like real world repercussions no the best part Sorry. is that this is a fox network right like this is this is a fox news cancellation yeah. right like of all people that would let him get away with this fox is one of those networks to be like yeah we got to stand behind him like when you when even fox news is saying yeah maybe that's a bit much uh yeah. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't have kept, you know, maybe you shouldn't have been spouting bullshit that's going to get you in legal hot water. Yes. Um, also, last week, right after we finished recording, Army Hammer got dropped by his agent and his publicist. Yes. We're and still waiting weird... for another shoe on that one, right? <clears throat> there, Yes. There are weird rumors that floated all over Twitter and then died about some bodies that were found at a construction site. But oh. nothing, nothing has been proven. No, there's, no. There's nothing. He was working on a friend's construction site in Joshua Tree. Uh, and he ate people. Anyway. No, he did not eat. <laughs> no. Wait. No, my 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 understanding from people who really know how this stuff works is all like when the publicist drops you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Because the publicist, happened. when you're when you're and not the studio publicist, when the publicist you've hired your to, to your personal publicist, and we all know that the personal publicist really like knows what you're up to. Yep. Right? Because they gotta yep. fix everything. Um and they it's have to, great know, thing to get do you out of, they can charge you more. <laughs> right. When the personal publicist is like, good luck, everybody. Peace like, out. Boy, you've, yes. like, I, I, I want to cook the popcorn and, and like, oh boy, I, I can't wait to see what comes out. Here's what I hope happens. Here's what I really, really am excited to see. I hope that Hammer joins the cast of whatever Gina Carano project is in the works. Because maybe it'll be a Ben Shapiro production about how cannibalism is a right. <laughs> I'm being canceled for my cannibalism. Maybe they're going to so, do a whole new remake of Boxing Helena. 
So also we're going to later on in the show, we're going to review this Britney Spears documentary that's on Hulu that um, a lot of folks are talking about, but there is actual Britney Spears news and we can expand on this later on down the road too, but you know, that she's been under this conservatorship because she's been deemed unstable and incapable of looking after her own finances, but her dad's been in charge of it. Her dad, who was like AWOL for, for years and now is in charge of her money. And she's been in court arguing that she would like a, an impartial third party to also be a, bank, a, part, yeah. a part of looking after her money. And so uh, Superior Court judge last week granted that. So now Bessemer Trust will also be part of taking care of her money. Um, what's interesting is that the judge... Um, Judge Brenda Penny is the mom of filmmaker and writer Prentice Penny, who no did who did Uncorked. He tweeted about it. He's like, "That's my mom." <laughs> hey, mom. I mean, and also we'll get into this in also, the review, but sorry, I I just want to add, like, to a certain extent, like, can't manage my own money. Uh, yeah, uh, I could see having a conservatorship, right? Not to make light of what Britney's going through, but you know, just on paper, like. I know I myself cannot be trusted to manage my own money. And part of why my wife is awesome is because she is a business manager and she handles everything because otherwise the power would get turned off because I'm terrible about that thing. But you bought a lot of Hawaiian shirts, which look lovely on you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. It is, little, is investment. it is a little cold today, but I do have a Hawaiian t-shirt. There you go. Also um, on Britney Spears news, Justin Timberlake has apologized retroactively to both Britney and Janet Jackson because Justin Timberlake was getting so dragged over his whole role in their breakup and the Crimea River video. And so finally he's like, oh, I'm sorry to Britney. And while I'm at it, I'm sorry to Janet too. And it's like, it's too late. I mean, as as obviously an outside observer this is between them and they can work it out however but like if if this late in the game like he was he was still complaining about britney breaking his heart or whatever in like 2018 and he's had so long to make it up to Janet Jackson, including his own second Super Bowl appearance in which he could have brought her back out and done a much more public mea culpa. So at this point, it's kind of like, it's like he's, he, there's all this publicity around Britney. There's all this discussion now in the culture of like, oh, maybe when we'll get into this in the review of the film, we, we kind of treated Britney like shit. We were terrible. And, you know, let's maybe reflect on that, that he's now hopping into that to be like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, when, when, when the, when the media is paying attention, it's like, now is the time for you to reach out to them personally and privately and do those apologies and not make it not do a thing on Instagram where now you get to be part of this story, this rehab of Britney's career and the way that that the media and the industry and all these people treated her. Uh, to me, it just it smacks of just super uh, disingenuousness. But again, it, it ain't me. I'm not I'm not one of the parties involved. It's self-preservation. Is what it is. Yeah. You know, whether it's genuine or not, the timing of it just seems like he's covering his ass retroactively yeah. and it's too little too late. Um, Somebody on Twitter said, I don't think he wrote that apology. I don't think he's read that apology. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, of cancellations, Disney is closing Blue Sky, which, which was Fox's animation studio. They did the Ice Age movies, among many others. Um I guess it just seems like a redundancy to have that many 
animation houses. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I and I, I mean, I hope that the, the animators find work either at Disney, Pixar, or or somewhere else. But I mean, like, I have to say, of the major animation studios, like Blue Sky, I don't, I can't think of a single film of theirs I liked. Like, I thought the Ice Age movies were terrible <laughs> but it's in it but it's it was they were popular and i'm sure that disney's going to figure out some way to keep it alive under their own fold but they, yeah i mean there's this a is, tv this show is a, this, uh, okay this is a micro version apparently. of disney taking over fox in general i think mm -hmm. in terms of like well you know we don't need two of this and two of that and and you know sadly this, these are the things that happen when these giant mergers take place and i you know it, it kind of sucks but you know that's, that is that is all business right now yes um so lunar new year has begun and uh there have been a lot of reports recently of asian americans being physically attacked yeah after you know in the past year since covid a lot of awful um violence and misplaced anger and blame but um daniel day kim and daniel Wu are offering twenty five thousand dollars for um information that leads to the arrest of this guy who violently attacked a 91 year old man Oof. in oakland's chinatown oh man so there, there are a lot of awful reports of uh of, of of attacks like that and treatment like that but these guys are doing their part to try to make that right so there is that Look, like if you were the type of person, and I have to imagine nobody's really nobody that is that type of person would be watching this show. But um, the type of person, in my humble opinion, that would do that sort of thing, like go out and clock somebody that's Asian because you're mad about the Wuhan flu. Part of your sentence, I think, needs to be that you get asshole tattooed on your forehead, <laughs> like just to warn everybody. Yeah, yes. I, I believe in a redemption arc, Matt. I don't know that that's. Well, I then you can I, get get it erased. <laughs> move to move to Boston and become a mass hole. Uh, what else? There's or so grow much, bangs. There's so or much to tell you guys about. <laughs> but the fringe, it's called fringe. I got to move um, my camera because now, like, the sun keeps moving and like it's coming in behind me. I, I look more angelic than usual. <laughs> no, the Earth goes around um, the sun, Christy. I'm so confusing. Okay, here's something that I, I'm interested in hearing your guys' thoughts about. Yes. So Mark Cuban owns the Dallas Mavericks. Mm -hmm. Since the very beginning of the season, they've not been playing the national anthem at Mavericks games at home games. Okay. They're not in the bubble in Orlando anymore. They're at their own individual arenas, and they're allowing a few fans in, like first responders, that kind of thing. And so since the very beginning of the season, Cuban's not been playing the national anthem for mm -hmm. home games. And this okay. is a solidarity with people who have wanted to kneel, you know, in support of Black Lives Matter as, as a silent protest. Um, he decided in November and he talked to NBA commissioner Adam Silver and he was like, that's fine. I'm fine with that. But then the NBA itself put out a statement saying every team will play the national anthem before every game. Oh, really? <laughs> I love forced patriotism. Right, which Cuban doesn't give a shit about, of course. You know? Right, so... <laughs> if I was Mark Cuban, um, define play the national anthem. Like, can I bring out kids and kazoos? Because that's what I would do. <laughs> right? Like, okay, I'm going to play it, but you ain't going to like it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, 
people assume that there are these things that just have to happen that are relatively mm-hmm. recent additions to things. Like the army was never a huge part of NFL games until like the army started paying for that. Right. Like, That's a marketing play. Whole, yeah. Like that was a whole big deal about trying to juice recruitment numbers was they would pay to have like the guys bring the flag out of the river. I mean, again, under God was not yes, added you. to the thank Pledge you. of Allegiance <laughs> until the 1950s during the Red Scare. Right. Eisenhower had that inserted in. So like we just take it for granted. Oh, what? Not the national anthem in a basketball game? What? We've always done it that way. And it's like, no, but I mean, I don't know the history on this one. I, I would need to look it up. But, uh, you know, the stuff that we take for granted that is that is locked in or whatever, very often was inserted there and usually for shitty reasons. Oh, so, I have yeah. to, I speak like on that kick, I got to find this link and probably people who have read Zinn's People's History of the United States know this backwards and forwards, but I read this great deep dive article that talked about that until I think like post-World War II and kind of America as a world power, up until then, history of the the founding of the country was basically like, yeah, these guys wanted money and it was a tax dodge, right? Like the whole thing about the founding fathers was like, yeah, they kind of did it for the money and it wasn't this purity of freedom. And it was really about like, yeah, it was it was a business thing. It was it was about taxes. It was about the southern states were worried about slavery was going to get outlawed because it had already started to happen in England. And so it was business. And everyone's like, yeah, these guys were business guys, but we got this country and it's OK. Um, and then in the 40s, it became like, oh, no, there's a purity of thought, And that and so since so for those last 80 years, that's why the country now thinks of this kind of like kind of, you know, godhood almost of the founding fathers. And, you know, my point is that's a recent development, right? Like up until again, like the thirties and forties, everyone's like, yeah, it was a bunch of Mark Cubans or whoever. Right. And like, it was a bunch of like dudes with land owning white guys who, yeah. What's interesting though, is that the Dallas stars, the hockey team in response, put out a statement on Twitter saying, we will always play the national anthem as Texas's only hockey team. We are really, really proud of our national anthem and we're going to play it. So Texas of all people, like you have, you have that right. (laughs) But like Texas of all states are like, but I love Texas as of all states of all hockey teams that are doing that. It's like, yeah, we got our own star. We're ready to take that star and go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, like well, they, I say, used to be in you... Minnesota. They were not always in Dallas. They were the Minnesota mm. North Stars. No, he means the star on the flag. Uh, <laughs> right, I mean, that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> why don't you play the Mexican national anthem while you're at it? Because technically, we stole Texas from them anyway. So yes. you know. Um, more news. Oscar shortlists came out this week in several mm. categories, including yeah. um, foreign language and um, hair and makeup and original song. Mm-hmm. Um, Husevik from Eurovision got not got put on the shortlist. Um, sadly, not Yaya Ding Dong. Ah, rats. Or, or was was that an original song, though? <laughs> yes. Well, Yaya Ding Dong or Husevik. Yes. I wasn't. Um, no, but I'm saying was Yaya Ding Dong original song. Can I you imagine sure. Yaya Ding Dong getting performed? <laughs> I mean, it's that's one of the real tragedies. Like the two what ifs would be, what if we could actually still do the show? And what if Yaya Ding Dong got performed? It's a crowd pleaser. And then also our friend Jared Leto's um, hair and makeup got nominated in The Little Things. (laughs) So much of it. Among, he just, you know, again, we can't escape him. We keep trying to get away from Jared Leto and he keeps. uh, Uh, I was, 
I was pleasantly surprised Netflix's Jingle Jangle got, uh, I mean, I guess yeah. I'm not that surprised because John Legend wrote the song, but uh, uh, Make It Work got shortlisted for best song, but not This Day, which I think is the best song in that movie. And it didn't get shortlisted for costumes, yeah. which uh, I thought, you know, like those were amazing. But, you know, it's the Oscars. What are you going to do? Yes. Um, there's going to be a sequel to Face Off directed by Adam Wingard, who also did Godzilla versus Kong, which is coming out next week or next month rather. And uh, people are pissed. They're like, don't touch face off. Did I mean, Adam Wingard I, do the Blair Witch remake? Yes. And he did your next. Okay. How then do you, no. <laughs> how do you, I mean, the thing is like, how do you look? I'm a big believer that if you're going to remake something, you fix it. Right. But like, how do you top face off? John Woo. <laughs> right. I, I, it, if anything, like here's the face off you should do. It should be Godzilla and King Kong switching faces. And that maybe that's what it is. Maybe that just be, is what it is. See, now that would be that up. I would see. That I would see. Um, Scaly <laughs> lizard with an ape face. Yeah. That's... Hang on. Nick, what? it's 9 30. It's 9 30. You're not Kong? <laughs> <laughs> Nick has swim practice. He has to get ready for uh, swim practice now. Um, okay. So, Donald Glover, speaking of some interesting projects that are in the work, mm. Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller Bridges are going to do a TV series version of Mr. and Mrs. Smith for Amazon. Yes, they the Doug Lyman one, not the Alfred Hitchcock one. Right, they are starring in it and they are developing it. So that sounds really All right, cool. cool. There's yeah. going to be a season two of The Great, which probably is not super new news, but we saw from the first image they released of it that she's pregnant. Yep. So that's kind or of Or as fun. Joss Whedon would say, fat. Right. <laughs> um, the uh, we have some casting news on this um, Barry Levinson Godfather making of movie. Um, Oscar Isaac is going to play Francis Ford Coppola. Jake oh. Gyllenhaal will be Robert Evans, yeah. and Elizabeth Moss is Eleanor Coppola. Oh, okay. This could be fun. Uh, you ever see Eleanor Coppola's documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now? No, it was it's good. really good. I think it's oh, called heard uh, good Heart, Hearts, of, Hearts of Darkness. Oh, she, that's, Darkness. that's who yeah. that, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I do know about this. I didn't realize she did that. Um, South by Southwest is going to happen soon, all online again, second year yep. in a row that South by is all online. You're going to have to get your breakfast tacos someplace else, mm. get them shipped to you, perhaps. It's very sad. Well, speaking um, of, speaking of yes. breakfast, um, sorry to just insert something. I have a new breakfast recipe that the next time you guys are here is. Uh, oh, okay. It's actually surprisingly yeah. simple, but maybe I'll do a video and show people Please. a little okay. breakfast. For that, we'll schlep to the valley. Okay. <laughs> um, Dave Chappelle is back on Netflix. Remember how Dave Chappelle asked Netflix to pull all of his um, Chappelle show episodes and all his stand-up yeah. specials. Um, I think he asked HBO to pull them as well because um, Viacom was not paying him. But not his so, Netflix stand-up stand special, the the old HBO and yeah, Central the, stuff. The, right? yeah. the Dave Chappelle show, the old show. So right. um, now that's all back on there. He got his Go millions of dollars. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> so and that's what we call a flex. He got paid. Um, this is I'm kind of sort of splitting around here on various topics. There's a guy in Arizona... <laughs> who is selling this giant Trump bus for $135,000. Like he bought this giant long bus and he wrapped it in pictures of like Trump looking all buff, like Trump's face oh. on some buff body. And and, and it's not a short bus. Of, <laughs> it's and, uh, pictures of Pence and it's super tacky. He sold all kinds of merch out of it. Um, and it's super, it's, I mean, the inside of it has like a shower and a bedroom and it's, 
extremely tacky. But- I hope I hope two drag queens and a trans woman buy it and drive it into the desert. <laughs> Thanks for everything. <laughs> so Trumpicilla. Queen of the desert. <laughs> yes, that is very entertaining. And then we have some uh, we have some sad news of some deaths. We have Nancy Wilson of the Supremes mm. died at seventy six, and Jazz uh, the twenty four year old yeah Chikria, the twenty four year old Jeopardy champ uh, whose name I don't have in front of me, Brendan. Oh, oh yeah. Um, That's Jesus. weird. What did he die of? Do we know? Uh, how he died? They were they were not they were vague. I don't know. Yeah, oh, Chikria. and Jean Claude Carrier died. Who is screenwriter of Unbearable Lightness of Being and oh. Belle de Jour and worked a lot with Buñuel and oh. worked with Godard and Milos Forman and like like one of the great screenwriters of the 20th century, okay. whose name um, you don't know. I don't. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, I not you particular. I mean, in general, like he was ever a household <laughs> name me. in America, but he's great. <laughs> also, me, a longtime film critic, and uh, Larry Flint died at 78. Larry Flint. So what did he die of. Oh, I don't know. Heart failure says my my news producer husband. Thank you, heart Chris failure. Lemire. Okay, yes. I was hoping that Nick I, was going to tell you heart failure. I uh, <laughs> he's plugged in. I met him once um, oh. uh, when I was I was running the USA Film Festival in Dallas when The People versus Larry Flint came out. We did kind of a local premiere. Uh, James Cromwell, who's in the film as um, oh, who's the guy oh, who's yeah. one of the one of the government right. lawyers who then later went to jail for financial misgivings right. and he was like with mother Teresa, that guy, I'm forgetting his name anyway. So he came and we sort of reached out to different people in the cast and blah, blah, blah. and Larry Flynn was like, Oh, I'll be there. And apparently he was like, he, this movie was his moment. So he was just, he would go anywhere. So he came to Dallas for this screening. So I did a Q and a after the movie oh with God. James Cromwell and Larry Flint. How was he? he's very charming in a room. I will say that like, you know, charismatic, very charismatic, very like, you know, very able to sort of like explain what he was about and why, and whether or not you agree with what he's about. Like as Milos Forman pointed out when he was making the movie, like when I was in Czechoslovakia and the communists started cracking down, they would go after the pornographers first because those are the least defensible people when you're talking about like freedom of expression. And so you know, Larry Flint for, there's a lot you can, there are a lot of th- stones you can throw at him for what he chose to do in his career, but he spent a lot of money defending the Constitution of the United States against, you know, some craven bad actors. Matt, I have a very, story you want to tell. Oh, I've been waiting to tell, I've been excited to tell you guys this story all week. <laughs> so a very, very good friend of mine that I have known for a couple of decades back from when I was a tour guide at Universal, my friend Al, um, worked at in the mar- like ran the marketing department uh, for the Hustler Casino. I'm sorry, the yeah, the Hustler Casino. Um, when in Larry LA, Flint, in LA, when Flint was opening that casino, uh-huh. um, and it was like that was Larry's pride and joy. That was where he spent all of his time. That was the thing he was really, really focused on. So Al worked with him a lot and worked very closely. And Al always talked about how Larry was super cool to work for and very generous and very thoughtful and like, you know, really, really the type of boss that would really like give you a claim. But early on, Al goes in and they're working on plans for their outdoor campaign and the billboards that they're going to put up around town. And so, of course, the subject comes like, all right, well, who are we going to use in the photos? Right. And so Larry starts to tell Al, well, why don't we use whoever, you know, he throws out some name who was 
you know, in the magazine two months back. And now it's like, oh, I, I, I didn't see that one, Larry. Oh, okay. Well, why, why don't you use this other one who was in the issue before that? And Al says, oh, I, I didn't see that one either. And Larry says, Al, are, are you not getting the magazines? And, and Al <laughs> says, well, no, Larry, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I haven't really, uh, no. And so Larry picks up the phone and gets on the phone with his assistant and says, Tina, can you make sure that Al has all of the copies of the last eight months of magazines, uh. skin mags in his office as soon as possible. Thank you. My friend Al is the only person I've known I've ever known who got reprimanded for not having enough porn in his office. <laughs> did he get them all? Did he appreciate the, the, the shipment? He did get them all. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to mention this. I have one more bit of movie news and we'll, then we'll uh, move on to reviews. But um, Black Widow will indeed have a theatrical opening in three months. For now. Yay, for, for now. now. <laughs> Vaccines are coming. You know, Biden just signed this contract for 100 million more Pfizer and 100 million more Moderna. So hope is on the horizon. Vaccines are coming and then we can all go and cram into a theater together and enjoy Black Widow. You know, have you noticed how easy it is to get Girl Scout cookies this season with the online ordering? Can Maybe the Girl Scout should be in charge of distributing the vaccine. This is true. Yeah, yeah, I got mine. They get shit done, the Girl Scouts. Exactly. So, uh, anyway, I, we, we will keep you posted on uh, how all these things look. All right, so we'll have Marquise next week, so come back for that. And uh, if you ever want to get those to us, you can always uh, send them to us at any of our uh, social media addresses. We're at BeFastAllDay on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, and boy, do they have an epic time. Christy, will you please tell us about this? I'd be happy to, because I'm wearing my most festive culottes today. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see them, but from I'm party from here down. It's it's a party down there. Um, so Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo, longtime best friends and collaborators, um, they co-wrote Bridesmaids, which earned them an Academy Award nomination, and they are back together co-starring and co-writing um, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Um, Annie Momolo is Barb. Kristen Wiig is Star. They are best friends who live in small town, Nebraska. They are both singled. One is divorced. One is a widow. And they just enjoy one another's company so much. Like their friendship is just infectious and they just love being together and they, they're on the same wavelength all the time. And then they get the idea that they've, they've never been out of their small town, out of their little bubble of, of safety in, uh, in kitschy Midwestern Nebraska. And so they go to this place that seems like the most exotic and most luxurious destination ever, Vista Del Mar, the, the fictional resort town of Vista Del Mar, Florida, where they're just wowed by everything. Like, oh gosh, look at the banana boat and look at these bracelets with little shells oh, on them. Seashells. Oh, oh my yeah. God. And they're just like everything. They're so innocent and everything is so exciting. And they're just so like wide-eyed and optimistic about everything. Um, but what they don't realize is that they have found themselves in the middle of a terror plot. Um, they meet up with a, a handsome gentleman played by Jamie Dornan, who is there at the behest of this evil villain this like austin powers style comically over the top villain also played by Kristen wig and um what she wants to do to the town of vista del mar is totally stupid and not really consequential but jamie doran's there at her behest but he also gets like sucked into barb and star and their excitement and um this movie 
is insane. And I laughed the whole way through. I was cackling. I was sitting at this table cackling watching this movie on my laptop nick's in his room he comes out of his room he's like what are you watching because <laughs> i was i don't I, there's so much i want to tell you and yet i don't want to give away but there is a sequence there's a musical number i was physically <laughs> crying crying it's the so first good. one or the second one and the one on the beach oh, okay that's all I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, um, so, I, and it's just, it's on it's, uh, its own completely specific, absurdist wavelength. And at first I was like, mm, they're making fun of tacky Midwestern people and that's low hanging fruit. But there's such affection for these women and there's such specificity to the language and to their lives and such a, a genuine kindness about the way that they treat each other and the world that you can't help but also fall in love with them too and yeah. so that's where i feel like they're not making fun because it would have been easy to like punch down and make fun of them exactly for the first five or ten minutes i'm like what are we doing why 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 is this supposed to be funny why are they mocking these characters but then once i just kind of went to this place like oh okay none of this is taking place on earth yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just so on its own wacko wavelength it's so absurdist that i was like oh Okay, I, I I got it, and and then and, and ultimately, yeah, you do realize they do love these characters, and they want these characters to win, you know, and you want them to win. But if if if, if you're feeling it, like this is so the kind of movie that is going to be like, I mean, all comedy is subjective, all art is subjective, but boy, howdy, this is you are either on board for this or you are not. Um, like I, you know, I've always thought that uh, Pop Star had some funny things I in it, but Pop doesn't <laughs> doesn't hold together. But a lot of people love that movie, and they totally. Did they get on whatever that wavelength is and they go with it all the way. And I was at th that way for this movie. Like if you don't like it and you don't think it's funny, I get it and that's fine. But boy, if, if this is your cup of tea, it will be a big mug of tea. Although I'm surprised at how well it's doing because as I was watching it in the solitude of my, my dining room here, I'm like, <laughs> oh, people are going to either love this or hate it. And is I, it like 83%? I'm shocked ugh. at how well it's doing. That's but, the thing is, but the bad reviews are bad. They are not like oh. mixed. <laughs> so I, this movie feels like it goes in the same category as, or these characters I would put on the shelf right next to Bill and Ted and maybe yeah. even Romy and Michelle, right? Like mm -hmm. this is a movie yeah. about... Two, maybe not particularly smart, but certainly innocent and loving friends that that friendship and that attitude changes the world. And it's, <laughs> and look like it's a fairy tale, but the world that this movie takes place in is absolutely the same world, I believe, that Bill and Ted live in and Romy and Michelle live in. I love this movie. This movie, mm -hmm. I'm also a big fan of when somebody takes kind of a silly idea and swings for the fences. And that's what Bill and Ted does. And that's what this movie does. Like, I think it's smart that they take these two characters I, and, and put the whole plot with like the whole evil, Dr. Evil type thing going on. Because I think that just the two of them tootling around this resort town would have gotten old, right? But adding adding this, like raising the stakes to this yeah. level brings in- While never forces, taking it too seriously. While never taking, you know, forces an absurdism that works. And I just want to also mention that like, boy, I thought Jamie Dornan comes awfully close to stealing this oh, movie. Wow, right? he's good in this. I thought that- Chris Hemsworth was being the ultimate himbo in Ghostbusters, but <laughs> Dornan might have taken that title. Um, I thought this Who movie was hilarious. Funny? 
There's, Who knew he had that comedy in him? Oh my God, he's uh, so hey, good. I, 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 I didn't mind Wild Mountain Time as, min, as much as most people, but he's a lot funnier in this. And he's he absolutely understands what he's yep. called upon to do here because he could have like made it too smirky or too dour, but he he threads that needle and just gets exactly to the point where where it's supposed to be. The, I was thinking that this is like the ideal version of one of those comedies based on a... 90s comedy cable show remember you know there was like the mr show movie and the mm -hmm. the kids in okay. the hall movie and the and the like the strangers right. with candy i guess that's in the ooze and they didn't really quite work and you're right they don't hold up for 90 minutes but like this is that same level of like we're just gonna we're gonna shoot the works here and none of this has to make sense and none of this has to be set in a concrete reality but it's going to be in the reality that we create that these characters create for themselves in the way that bill and ted and romeo and michelle do I want to mention also um, the the casting of Jamie Dornan is so clever because you can imagine these these women would view Christian Grey as like a really <laughs> exciting, sexy, idealized version of a man. So to have that persona like turned on its head is a blast. Also, I want to give a shout out to the costume designer, yes, Tracy Gigi Field, because again, it would have been so easy to make fun of like the tacky wardrobe that they have, but it's so over the top that there's like a joy to it and like a pastel kind of vomit that is hilarious. And, yeah, the, uh, there's the, the, every, the, the production designer, like this is such a resort fantasia, you know, the, the, uh, all of, all of the teals and pinks and the corals and the, and the, the, you know, the, all the fruity drinks are like just gigantic and extra blue. Oh, that's and a, it, that sequence <laughs> with the giant drink. Uh, yeah. Uh, I will say there was a little bit where they're like, no, this is fancy. It's Tommy Bahama head to toe. I was a little like, their idea of a compliment is like, you could be a model for Chico's. <laughs> And again, no, no, like, you can be it's kind of making fun of Chico's. For Kirkland. Like, you could be a Kirkland mom. <laughs> I got my, my Kirkland sparkling water. I like it. We should mention Josh Greenbaum directed this. I think yes. it, it maybe uh, his feature debut. Uh, his, his narrative feature debut. He's done documentaries. He did the one about the Dana Carvey show for Hulu oh. and mm. one other one I forget. But yeah, this is his first non-doc feature. Anyway, um, it, it, it kind of loses its way for me a bit when it becomes more about the terror plot and they don't really know what to do with Damon Wayans because he kind of also shows up oh, as like I, I another he was hilarious. Spot. Did you? I did. Um, I didn't laugh at every joke, but I was always interested to see what they were going to throw at us next because everything was coming from such weird right. angles. And things well, from the beginning, like weird little details from the beginning, like tie up nicely at the end. Right. Yeah. They do great callbacks. And even just in it's like, they're even willing to like throw jokes at you that aren't particularly verbal, like... I don't want to give it away, but the scene where the three of them are just kind of like. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. All, all in like different rhythms. And I just kept thinking like, God, how do you make that happen? That is hilarious. That's choreography. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm saying eight. I had a really good time. And uh, maybe I'll say eight. I'll say 8.3. 8.3 is my number. I said 8.8. .8. Um, I, you know, <clears throat> I don't may, Maybe it's the Wait. pandemic talking, but I had a great time. I'm sorry. You know, what? I was looking at the wrong, the wrong column. I actually oh. say nine. I say nine. Oh, ooh, okay. Nine, and then you say 8.8 .8 to this. Yes. Correct. Okay. I was looking in the wrong what, place. I apologize. What did I say? I don't you remember. You said 9.5. Yeah, 9.5. I'll stay. I'll okay. stand by that. This is good. This is so much funnier and so much goofier, and like you never know where it's going, and it's I, it's a delight. It's a it's a revelation. Yep. Yep, nine point one's our number. So uh, if it, it looks stupid and you think you don't want to watch Barb and Star, you absolutely do. <laughs> oh, it is stupid. It's stupid with two O's in the best possible way. 
Stupid. Indeed. It's fully aware of its own of its own thing. We are here to free Britney Spears. Um, we are talking about this documentary that's on Hulu called Framing Britney Spears that a lot of folks are talking about. And as we mentioned earlier during our news segment, there is actual breaking news involved with this film and this story. So Alonzo, please fill us in. So yeah, this is a segment from an ongoing series called The New York Times Presents on FX. It's a collaboration between the two. And so, uh, yeah, this is uh, digging into, I mean, Nominally, this is about Britney Spears' conservatorship and the fact that her father has controlled her career and her money and, you know, I assume probably has a lot to say about, you know, the custody of her children um, for the last several years, this notion that that she was uh, unfit and, and, and basically sort of looking into what is a conservatorship anyway, and usually they're for like, you know, older people with dementia, it's pretty unusual for a woman her age that she would be under this sort of control from a, an outside party um but then the film kind of also digs into sort of the history of Britney Spears as a pop phenomenon and her rise to fame and how uh, the culture kind of conspired to eat her alive. And there was actually a really good South Park episode about this years ago, but that, that basically she was the girl that we all threw into a volcano and that, you know, with the rise of the tabloid media that they were just like constantly hounding her and constantly like, you know, putting putting her in threatening situations by just surrounding her with the the photos and the videos and stuff, um, and kind of looking back at like what Diane Sawyer felt like she could say to Britney Spears's face, you know, and what and and they only skimmed the surface. Like uh, other people have been finding stuff like David Denby's review of Crossroads in the New Yorker, where he's like, well, I don't know if she's going to be a movie star, but there's something wrong with her face. Like just you know, people feeling like they could ask her if she was a virgin and if she was pregnant, and you know, the 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 wife of the governor of Maryland saying I'd like to shoot her. I, I, you know, just insane what people not that long ago in our lifetimes thought was perfectly suitable, you know, uh, treatment of a young woman. Wait, for Diane so, Sawyer to uh, ask her, like, are you pregnant? Or, or I'm sorry, yeah. are you still a virgin? It was like, what the fuck are you doing? Exactly. And, so, and, and the, she broke up with, with Justin. She, what did you do to Justin? Yes. Yeah. And how Justin <laughs> Timberlake painted himself the victim of this, which is why he's now belatedly apologizing for being a total shitbag. Um, but yeah, so it, it operates on multiple levels. It is about the sort of ongoing thing, which again, this week continues to be ongoing. A judge did allow, uh, a, a, per Britney's request, a bank to step in as a third party on the financial conservatorship. So the money isn't being entirely controlled by her father, who as we've learned in this documentary, was largely absent during her childhood uh, and was mainly interested in like the, the the financial benefits of his kid, you know, going to work at 12. Um, you know, there's that that creepy clip from uh, from Star Search yeah, where Ed McMahon, Ed McMahon's asking about having a boyfriend when she's 10. It's just like, and it just sets the tone for all the other shit she's going to get asked on camera for the next however many years. So, yeah, it, it, I, I think this is really, it's started this kind of cultural conversation of like, oh, yeah, we were not that, um, uh, you know, 2000, we were not <laughs> where we are now in terms of like the way that we handle this stuff. And, and I think what's great about, you know, th there's a new generation of people who just are not having it, you know, and, and are not taking it for granted that this is how we're supposed to behave. Um, so yeah, this is an interesting piece of, of, of journalism, both uh, in a cultural sense and also just in the story of like, who is running the show for this conservatorship? How can she get out of it? Um, 
I think if I the reason my score isn't maybe higher is that I think not having Britney Spears' direct voice in here now is a bit of a problem. But I mean, they certainly tried. They asked, but she's been very reclusive of late. She has been reclusive, but also the, the, the way they phrase the fact that they tried to reach her indicates that they don't even know whether she got that request right, because right, right. she's so she's so protected and so you know sequestered still um well, yeah and i recall there sorry there's there's also been some reports that she's working on her own doc oh. so maybe she wants to save all all the good stuff yeah. for that um I recall, because like 20 years ago, I was still in New York and I was covering all entertainment for the AP, not just film. And it was right at the rise of boy bands and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and TRL. Those of you at home don't remember that people would watch music videos <laughs> on MTV. They would call and they would vote. And Total Request Live was a thing that you would tune into every day and people would and go on TRL. It was huge. People would go on the TRL to like break news. Like when the Backstreet Boys announced that AJ McLean was going into rehab, they all went on TRL to tearfully announce it. Like, she uh, of Dave, Dave Holmes, who was on TRL and who's in the doc, just recently wrote a really good piece for the that. LA Times about this movie that yeah. I recommend people check out. Yeah, I saw that. Um, that was good. And uh, yeah, we, I mean, I guess we know more now, right? Maybe, or we as a society are perhaps more enlightened now in terms of the way that we treat celebrities or treat or, Young or women. approach, just approach topics of mental illness because clearly mm. Brittany was struggling. And when you see the way, like very large, powerful mainstream media platforms like or, or programs like all the late night guys would make fun of her, like the, her whole meltdown where... You know, she attacked the paparazzi's truck with the umbrella and she shaved, she shaved her, head. her head. Like there's, she was trying to tell us over and over again right. that she wasn't doing well and she wanted to be left alone, but the paparazzi were making too much money. The thing that I, I found this movie so infuriating over and over again, it's mostly like older white men who let her down over and over and over again. And of course, Diane Sawyer. I, I mean, I was appalled that there was a family feud question making fun of her. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's, the it's a wonder that she still wants to in any capacity perform you know i mean she she's taking a stand by not doing this las vegas residency but it's a wonder that she wouldn't just say you know what fuck it fuck this you know yeah. well yeah i mean what's you know and i got the sense that part of why she was still working was so that you know a like the gravy train keeps going for her dad the conservator and that means she gets to see her kids because he also had control over her person and could easily say, look, you're going to be out there and perform or you're going to not see your kids. Right. Like, and at some point that falls apart. Um, there's, there's so much going on in this. Um, I was amazed at how, at least within the context of this doc, like some of those really pointed questions, even with her at a rel relatively young age, she's got really smart answers, you know, and as much as we talk about mental health here, like a lot of it, I think is caused by, it seems like it's caused by that spotlight. Like Christy, you and I have had the slightest little taste of that in our past, right? Around like the Batman, the Dark Knight wow. stuff, right? Like the teeniest, 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 tiniest taste of that. And I know for me, it was like super really like awful, right? Just stressful, yeah. Stressful for those couple of days, right? And when you've got everybody like looking at every move you make in this, you know, like, you know, 
especially considered our society's insane ideas about sex and young women. Um, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, the, the two things I immediately thought of is I'm amazed that she's still alive because this feels a lot like the Amy Winehouse doc um, mm -hmm. in that almost everyone around Britney Spears has failed her, right? And, and uh, or actively exploited her. Or act, you know? right, right. Everyone around her, everyone involved with her has failed her, right? If not actively exploited her. Um, the other thing is like, we need to all watch this and think about current stars. Like you can see this happen right now with Billie Eilish, right? Like everybody's concerned, like, well, what's she look like under those baggy clothes and, and what's going on? And maybe she's actually not that pretty and blah, blah, blah. like, fuck everybody. Like, right. This movie is infuriating. And, yeah. you know, you hope. I, I get, I get this. I mean, I, I, I get the sense that that, that this is a reminder of like, we're not doing this again. Maybe I'm just being optimistic. I, well, but that's the thing. Like, look at the news about, you know, and, and even with the reality stars, right? For right or for wrong, like there's all that gossipy stuff. Um, you talk about the, uh, all the late night show hosts, you know, and, and you and I, well, like we've all seen this come up, but anyone who hasn't like, go look up that, what I think 2007 thing from, um, Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson was like the one guy that was like, we need to stop. Right. And no one listened. Yeah. yeah. No, that's um it's 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 riveting and it's sad. And 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 the thing is that no matter how talented or driven or professional she is, like she was never gonna be what everybody wanted her to be because she was like she had to be sexy, but not too sexy. And she had well, to be how could you be? Uh, like she had to be aspirational and yet approachable, and, and she had to be, you know talented and yet you know not too ambitious of a superstar and so all all the all the madonna horror stuff was thrust on this young woman at age like 16 and so you watch in the next um, year or so we're gonna see jamie spears under increasing scrutiny because that bank is not gonna let him get away with shit and a lot of crap is gonna come to light because a, a an organization with real liability is gonna be looking at those books yeah also interesting in this and we gotta wrap up is um the the massive amount of support that she has from like podcasters and bloggers. And there's like a whole free Britney group of people who, you know, follow her court case and protest. And they think that she's trying to communicate with them through cryptic Instagram messages. And that's kind of interesting too. Like she's this little bird in a cage trying to like tweet out little things that indicate her in her inner state. So and then they also like try and play detective with whether or not she actually is posting because the emoji situation is not what they would have expected from Britney. Yeah, that, they start sounding like Q people when they <laughs> like start digging in too much about what the symbology of this stuff. Like everybody, anyway, calm down. We should we should wrap up. But I, I'm saying eight. Um, it's it's very much worth watching. If if you think you hate Britney Spears music and you hate this whole era of, of pop music, um, it's worth watching. Absolutely, I said seven and a half. You said seven and a half. Yes, seven and a half. Uh, I think I said eight and a half. You did. So our number is an eight. It's on Hulu right now. Yes. And the FX app, if you get that. Judas and the Black Messiah. I have unfortunately not had a chance to see this, uh, but Christy and Alonzo have, and they will tell you all about it. Uh, who's describing? 
Uh, me. So this is premiering on HBO Max this weekend and theatrically. And I guess because of the uh, extended Oscar deadline, this got was able to have its premiere at Sundance and now uh, open in February and still be, I guess, part of this qualifying year. Uh, so it is written, co-written and directed by Shaka King. And this is the story of the FBI going after Fred Hampton of the uh, Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya plays Hampton. Lakeith Stanfield plays Bill O'Neill, who is a car thief who is looking at a lot of jail time unless he becomes an FBI informant and goes undercover on their behalf into the party and reports on what's going on and helps the FBI um, in uh, in disrupting things. The agent that is sort of controlling him is played by Jesse Plemons, uh, a fairly bizarrely made up Martin Sheen is J. Edgar Hoover. Um, this is really interesting to watch right after the documentary MLK FBI, because both films are about Hoover's obsession with uh, black civil rights leaders and uh, him viewing them as a threat and the FBI going out of their way to uh, undermine their work, to destroy them personally if possible. And, um, you know, this takes us all the way through to Hampton's assassination by the FBI and eventually what happened to O'Neill as well. Um, you know, I, I think we're really starting to see some interesting takes on not just this period of history, but I think the idea of the historical biopic, like there has been such a kind of safe formula that these movies tend to follow and they be, you can kind of like guess exactly where they're going to go. And King is doing something that maybe not quite on the level of what uh, Steve McQueen does in Mangrove, but is at least like taking this movie where we think we know what the what the pieces are and what the sequences are going to be and kind of plays around with it some. And this is, uh, you know, a, a fairly, I'm kind of shocked that Warner brothers is making this movie because this is a movie that is about like black revolutionaries and about how the FBI conspired to bring them down in a way that feels very anti-authoritarianism, anti-authoritarian and, and very like, it's not radical filmmaking in the, in the, in the formal sense, but it is filmmaking about radicalism um, and really kind of gives you the POV of what the Panthers were fighting against, how Hampton was able to bring together, like, not just like the black community in Chicago, but also like the, you know, the, the, the white, you know, the supremacist community, but people who were working class and also struggling under, you know, the economic standards of the time. And then also like the Puerto Rican community as well. And like, he kind of, he was rainbow coalition way before Jesse Jackson ever got there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've seen some people on Twitter pick apart the fact that Fred Hampton was like 21 when he died mm -hmm. and Daniel Kaluuya is maybe a little older to be taking on the role, but he's super dynamic. Um, I don't know my Chicago accents well enough to judge <laughs> how much he sounds like Hampton, but he doesn't sound like you can tell when a British actor is struggling with an American accent. And I think it, it's very natural. Stanfield playing this very conflicted character who on the one hand, the closer that he gets to Hampton and the more that he's involved with what the Panthers do with the, the, breakfast programs and there are other things, you know, like realizes that he's on the wrong side, but he's also trapped. Um, so, yeah, I think this is, you know, a fascinating bit of American history that a lot of people don't know. And it's told in a very dynamic way. Um, it is interesting that you mentioned Steve McQueen. Because um, Sean Bobbitt, who is Steve McQueen's longtime cinematographer, who shot 12 Years a Slave and Hunger and Shame, also shot this. Oh, and it's interesting. So, and I think that that kind of 
artistry within what is a pretty traditionally structured narrative really elevates so much of us. I mean, the performances, as you said, are incredible. Daniel Kaluuya is electrifying. Lakeith Stanfield gets to play so many different versions of this guy because from the very beginning, he's pretending to be somebody he's not. Right. You know, he is. He's pretending to be an FBI agent to steal a car. And then he has to be his actual self, but like a version of himself with the FBI and then another whole version of himself with, um, with the black Panthers and the inner conflict that exists as he gets to know them and begin to appreciate what they're doing. Um, and it's edited so beautifully. Like, again, like we, we know where this is going and yet is always this really like this push, this propulsive forward motion. And we're always on edge, but, all throughout from the very first shots, there's like a low angle shot of like Stanfield's character, like walking down the street at night, approaching a nightclub and like the red neon from the, the nightclub sign is, is reflecting off of the sidewalk and off of his coat. And like from the very beginning, we are transported and yet it feels real and alive and important. Um, it's, it's a really cool artistic and thematic balance that is going on here. And also, um, yeah, as you say, we just saw MLK FBI, but also we've seen Trials Chicago 7, which kind of mm. also is part of this period in time, this place in time. Sure. I think also a Black Klansman, you know, in terms of mm. um, what they are showing in terms of civil rights and, um, and of course, just from the a costuming perspective. Um, so yeah, I really dug this. It, it sounds, I potentially like an eat your vegetables kind of movie, but it's not, it is no. thrilling from the very beginning. And just Daniel Kaluuya, man, he can just do everything. Like Lakeith can do everything. <laughs> Lakeith can, can be hilarious and he can be romantic. And then this I think is, is the best thing he's ever done because again, he's called on to play so many different slightly shaded, like really slightly nuanced versions of the same guy. Yeah. And, and, and he has this like real arc. I mean, like Fred Hampton's kind of the same guy at the beginning of the movie as is at the end of the movie, but like mm -hmm. Stanfield's character is really going through these changes where he is, he goes from being a total opportunist to like, you know, he, he signs on to do this just to keep himself out of jail. Oh, and there's money too. Great. Uh, but then like the more that he understands the real conflict between these two, you know, between the FBI and the Panthers, like, you know, comes to understand that that he's doing the wrong thing, that he is the Judas in this situation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I you know, I, I was. I, you're right. This is the movie. This could have very much been a sort of like classroom film, you know. But it it it, it is very. It feels vital and it feels you know electrifying. Yeah, I really also like um, Dominique Fishback as yes. um, as Deborah Johnson, mm -hmm. who was his girlfriend and the mother of his child. Yes, and uh, she is as strong as he is in her opinions and in her actions, and uh, is not just like you know the hanger-on woman who is by his side. I mean, she's very much her, her own strong woman, and and kind of opens his eyes too to a lot of his own potential power. Jesse Plemons is always great and <laughs> is so, so subtly like menacing. Like mm. the thing with Jesse Plemons so often is 
he looks so sweet, you guys. He looks like <laughs> such a nice guy, but there's always some like undercurrent of something deeply fucked up going on with his characters. Yeah, and he that and, balance he, he finds is great. He and Jake Lacey are really good at playing like mm-hmm. like just sort of average kind of Midwestern white guys, but there's something else going on, like not all that deep under the surface. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about the makeup that Martin Sheen has to wear to play Jake Hoover because he kind of looks like Rudy Giuliani. It's weird. Yeah, it's sort of like, I mean, you know. So he's got like look, dripping it, stuff on the side of his face. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's rubbery. It's weird. We, we've already accepted that a movie in which J. Edgar Hoover looks like Leonardo DiCaprio. So pretty much all bets <laughs> are off. Come on. Anyway, this is this is really good. Um, I'm saying yeah. nine. I said nine also. And it, it's on HBO Max. So like you don't even have to leave the house to see it. And you should see it. Mm-hmm. Our next film is To All the Boys. Again, I have not quite had a chance to see this one. Uh, although I'm kind of wanting to see it. This is the third one in the series. To All the Boys. Uh, always and forever, uh, and one of my excellent compatriots will tell you all about it. I will. Yes, this is the the third to all the boys movie. They are based on a series of, of very popular YA novels, and the first one was just like this gigantic hit. Like right when Netflix was starting to have you know original films that were just you know this was one of the early hits for them, and a lot of that had to do with the charm of the relationship between Lana Condor and Noah Centineo. Um, that was To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And then last year, right around the same weekend, we had To All the Boys, P.S. I Love You. I went back Valentine's and Valentine's Day, Christy. I know, it was Valentine's Day this weekend. And uh, it was a year ago, like one of the last times that the three of us were all together was reviewing oh, wow. the last yeah. To All the Boys movie <laughs> um, at Alonzo's apartment. So, And yeah. I didn't like the second To All the Boys movie because I feel like Lara Jean chose the wrong guy. <laughs> right i mean i know she has to end up with noah centineo whatever with with that uh, with peter kavinsky but i think that the other dude was cuter and uh john ambrose he was cuter and a nicer guy but we can't we gotta keep the series going the way it's supposed to be so now they're both seniors in high school they're about to graduate he already has a lacrosse scholarship to play at Stanford, and she is hoping that she will also get into Stanford so that they can be together forever. But she's also applied to some other schools just to be safe. So her safety schools are Cal and NYU. <laughs> it's a fantasy world, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, she finds out that she does not get into Stanford. What's she going to do? She had this whole dream of them living their lives together. It's all planned out. And uh, she gets into Cal. And then that's only like an hour away. It's just across the bay. No big deal. But then she goes and she visits New York City with her, her friends on a senior trip. And she realizes, oh, like New York would be fun. Like to go to NYU, that wouldn't suck. And to be young and on your own in a whole different city. Um, her older sister has gone off. Her younger sister, Kitty, her, her wise-cracking, nosy younger sister, Kitty, is still home. Doesn't want her to leave or go anywhere far away. And uh, meanwhile, John Corbett, her dad, played by John Corbett, is potentially going to get remarried to the nice neighbor across the street. And uh, it's how all these things collide. What are we going to do? And it's, you know, it is sweet. It redeems the whole series. And as you say, Alonzo, hopefully it's the last one. Like, I don't know that I need any more to all the boys movies. The thing that is so charming, that spark between Lana Condor and Noah Centineo is very much still there. They are adorable. But it's funny to watch this now as, as a grown ass woman. Like the things that 
our problems. <laughs> <laughs> seems so lame right i mean well like, i remind them what dave would always say when i would watch degrassi was like do these kids ever have homework there's no homework and again like in classic romantic comedy tradition this all of this would just be solved with like one conversation, conversation right for because for a long time there's this whole ruse where she accidentally makes peter think that she got into stanford and it doesn't tell him for a really long time and Nick watched it with me because he has seen the first two. And he's like, why didn't she just tell him? Because <laughs> <laughs> then there'd be no movie. Because then right. it would be a commercial. <laughs> I, 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 I like this one. I, it, I think it, I, I, I think that every generation of teenagers needs this kind of like aspirational yeah. movie in which everything is awesome and things work out and, and their decisions are at the center of the universe. And, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, part of the aspirational nest of these characters is that they're smart and they read books and they're, you know, they're concerned about other people and they're, they're quite lovely. Uh, it's funny that you were, remember not liking the second one. I cannot remember the first two movies. I know I saw them. I know we reviewed them, but like I, I was, I were going into this thing, boy, there better be a previously on because I don't remember <laughs> anything and there wasn't, but I eventually kind of worked like, Oh yeah. Right. Him and the sister and the thing and the whatever. Um, you know, yeah, it it is it is perfectly charming. This is this is a cotton candy movie. You know, is it, part of the aspirational that because I think about this and I and I imagine for those of us that are older that are reviewing it have to look back on like these kids are going into college and the aspiration here is that they'll be together forever. And well, I think back like when you're that age, that's what you think, <laughs> right? Right. But it's a little like I look back. I'm like, man, I can't imagine like. Oh God, no! I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, but again, I think, but but part part of the aspirational thing is they don't want to hear that from from your right. grandpa. They, you know, so right. they. And need to be clear, it's not like I'm not still an idiot. Sure, something <laughs> yeah, you I, don't grow out of. I was saying <laughs> Nick to Nick though that like I had a really serious boyfriend my senior year in high school, mm. and we went off to different colleges, and we always knew we were going to do that, and we kind of still dated, but then ended up like you know dating other people at our colleges, and then it fizzled eventually and he's still my good friend um but you know this again is in this romantic idealized bubble alonzo let's talk about geography for a second <laughs> okay. I, you know how much i love talking about la I geography do. and yes. freeways so at one point laura jane is looking up how to get from stanford to cal she has gotten into Berkeley on google maps on google Maps. she's looking at her computer mm -hmm. on how to get to cal and so the way it's telling her is to go up the 101 across <laughs> the bay bridge to oakland and then up to berkeley which i would never do like if you can avoid getting on the 101 if you can avoid san francisco entirely <laughs> and that whole bottleneck of traffic that occurs there if you can avoid the bay bridge you should absolutely do that so what she should do san mateo bridge across and then go up along the east bay on 880 i don't That's know my, I, do. I don't know my northern california uh right but the 101 is the prettier drive no, a 280 is pretty. If you want to make it pretty, mm. shit, go all the way around right, but to the west part. <laughs> isn't there a ferry or something? I mean, do, do you even want to drive? I don't know. I'll, it just is frustrating to such an extent that I actually like wazed it on my phone. We paused <laughs> the movie and Nick and I wazed it to get from Stanford to Cal. How do you get there? Practice, who's, practice, your practice. who's your who's your who's your voice right now? It's the British dude. Oh, okay. Although I haven't used Waze that often at all. I was going to say, does Waze even, are they even bothering with voices right now? Is I go, go, oh, I right, go where to the are you going? Score. 
I go to, I'll tell you, you what, go I, go to the, I go to the grocery store and I take my kid to swim practice and that's it. Like if I leave the hill, it's really unusual. Mm. Um, so although I did, I, have to, I had to go to the dentist last week. I got my ah. teeth cleaned downtown LA last week. But um, anyway, this bothers me. And even Waze told me that my way of going up the East Bay is faster and shorter. <laughs> so there you go. This is, I, it, it took me out. <laughs> oh well, damn it! Uh, but no, they're they the leads are super charming, yeah. and and you know again, if I were like thirteen, I, this yeah. would totally be my jam. I will say that Netflix has kind of upped their own game in this department because I think a much better sort of YA idealized romance is the series Dash and Lily. Yeah. But you know that's up to you, whichever you think is best. I think it it, it is as lovely an East Coast version of this as as this is a, a Pacific Northwest version. Yes. Also, her her uh, her nighttime adventures in New York City are extremely chaste and yes. sanitized. Mm -hmm. But you can see like the spark of why that would be exciting for her to go there. Uh, oh, Michael, sure. Fem Michael Feminari directed this, who also directed the second one. He's a cinematographer. I believe he shot both of them too. So oh, of good. note, everything is very, very pretty and shiny and everyone's beautiful. Yes. So I'm saying 7.4. I said seven. Uh, you know, I, I, I was entertained. It was cute. Okay. It's cute. It's cute. Seven, yeah, it is. 7.2 is our number. If you want a, a good... Um, escapist lovely romantic so Val valentine's day movie to watch this would be a fine choice absolutely our final film this week is minari i also want to interject that um been getting a lot of mentoring lately from uh, our old what the flick compatriot ben mankowitz um and oh. so that means i haven't seen the movie this week oh. uh ben's oh. a busy guy <laughs> you are also a busy guy but i Minari am a busy guy Minari is beautiful, and so I hope that at some point you will be able to catch up with it. Um, I'm really happy that we're finally able to talk about Minari because it was on my top 10 list last year. Um, it was a big hit at Sundance last year and is now just finally coming out from A24. Um, and it's already gotten lots of uh, award nominations. It will certainly get lots of Oscar nominations and, and deservedly so. So this is from writer-director Lee Isaac Chung, it's an extremely personal movie for him. It's inspired by his own life and his own family of, of immigrants from South Korea. Um, it's about a family, father, mother, sister, brother, and they come from Korea to like rural Arkansas in the 80s. And um, the dad, played by Stephen Yoon, has these plans for them to, to go there and assimilate and to live the American dream. And there's just total purity in it. He, he's bought into it. He believes in it. Um, the wife, played by Yeri Han, um, Monica, who she comes from a more wealthy cosmopolitan family in Seoul and um, isn't really sold on the idea of moving to the United States at all, much less where she finds that they end up, which is a trailer in small town, Arkansas. They have jobs at a chicken farm, chicken factory where they Processing are- Processing plant. They are, yeah, they are dividing up the chicks by gender. It is a chicken sexing thing. So they're just basically doing the mindless work of just putting him in different little bins. And uh, they have a daughter and a little boy named David who is ostensibly the stand-in for the filmmaker and um, is really the perspective and our conduit to this. He's played by Alan S. Kim and he is in 
incredible. He is like the best child actor I have seen in a very long time. We need to give props to our friend Julia Kim, casting director Julia Kim, who, who cast this. She was on a la carte a couple of years ago and has just assembled a, a, a perfect ensemble here. Um, but the, the wife and the family is lonely. She wants to go back home, instead brings her mother from South Korea, played by, I, I want to say it the right way in Korean. How do, how do we say it when we were talking about during voting, Alonzo? We said oh, Yoon Ya Jung was how we, we've been saying it, but yes. I'm, I'm seeing it both ways. Um, and she comes in and she totally upends everything. And she clashes at first with this little boy, a little seven-year-old David, um, and, you know, kind of shakes things up. She is on paper in the most superficial way, like wacky, profane grandma. But there is so much more to her character. There's so much more to all of them. That's part of, part of what I love about the story is that it seems familiar. It seems perhaps simplistic, like, oh, it's this family and they come here and it's, um, it's hard for them. And then wacky grandma shows up and shakes things up. And uh, there's wacky stuff with bodily fluids and misunderstanding. Mountain Dew. Yes. And, uh, but there's such tenderness and it's an incredibly beautifully shot film and the score is gorgeous and there's just emotional truth to everything each of them is experiencing and i love that the film does not take sides with anybody it does not judge anybody for how they respond to this new and scary and exciting situation that they found themselves in which is it's a really beautiful film and there is a great deal of kindness and compassion in it I'm in a weird place with this movie in that I like it and yeah. I think it does a lot of itself well, but I don't love it, no. which many of my peers, including Christy, yeah. do. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And I get why. But like, you know, I, for one, responded a lot more strongly to the Netflix movie Tiger Tail that we reviewed oh, last year, was which is a, about the Taiwanese couple who, who comes to the United States and has to sort of adjust and, and their ongoing family life. And not that like all movies about Asian immigrants are created equally or that they have to be played off each other. It wasn't the Asian-ness of that movie that, that made me think of, of it, but it's just the, this notion of like, People who come to America who with with no resources and no family or friends to rely on and like have to figure out how to make this work and maybe have second guesses about was this even a good idea in the first place. And so I found Tiger Tail really powerful and I thought Minari was like, fine, it's good. Mm -hmm. I, I, but, you know, I, part of it, I, you know, again, we, you know, it always helps when you can be the first wave of somebody seeing something and you, you know, because I don't read other reviews, but, you know, you can't escape other opinions. And like from the moment this movie premiered at Sundance, I kept hearing, oh, it's so great. Oh, it's so great. And then I saw it and I'm like, well, it's, it's good. It's mm -hmm. good. I, I, I appreciate a lot of the things about it, but I'm not, it, it didn't have my heart the way that it obviously has done for a lot of other people. So like I, think it's fine and people should see it. And obviously a lot of people have loved it far more than I have, which means, you know, you should certainly see it, but I just, I'm not hundred percent on board in the minority train. Interesting. And that definitely is a phenomenon that people see things in that bubble of Sundance. And again, mm. like, you know, Sundance is one of the last big communal things that we could all That's do true, yeah. before the world shut down. Um, and, and then, you know, as you say at a, what, how do you phrase it? Ground level? Uh, oh, sea level. Sea <laughs> level. When when people see things uh, and, you know, nothing ever justifies the hype of a movie like 
sideways or whatever, like sideways is really good, but someplace like Sundance, everyone loves it. And then you've been like, oh, what am I missing by not loving it the same way? Um, also, there's a gentleness to this. Yes, you know, it doesn't sure. blow, it doesn't blow you away. And so maybe that's also part of why some reactions afterward are kind of muted or kind of like a, a shrug, a warm shrug. <laughs> yeah, this could entirely be my fault. Don't get me wrong. It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I, I'm seeing, and I, I didn't see it. I've never been to Sundance. I didn't see it there. I saw it here in October, you know, and, no. and uh, for like potential awards consideration. So I, that's, that's how I saw it. But again, knowing full well that there was this massive hype, I think there was just a lot of grace note to these performances and to the really understated kind of gentle pacing of this and the sense of place. Um, I love the evolving relationship between the little boy and the grandma, which again, in a different genre of film would have played like over the top and slapsticky, but there's more truth to it than that. And the way they change each other, I always found believable and captivating. Um, Steven Yoon is always great. Yeri Han, yes. who could have been, like she could have just been the, the, the naggy wife. All these characters could have been a one note character sure. and each of them brings such depth to it and such i'm, I'm gonna do all the film critic words depth nuance and shading <laughs> they're all there you and you said grace notes too i so. said grace notes so <laughs> so that's yahtzee right? <laughs> so, um, but we have no, a full card <laughs> yeah and, and alan s cam again he could have been like precocious disney disney channel Kid, sure. And he'd never been in a film before and just has so much poise. And he's just really, he's really, really cute in his little cowboy hat and his little boots. <laughs> so this is quite lovely. But again, as, as Alonzo says, like, you know, maybe temper, temper your, your expectations. expectations. <laughs> I'm saying 9.3. Uh, I said uh, 7. Point something? Six. 7.6. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a, it is a fine film. It is very well done. It is very well acted. Um, and you know, who knows down the road, I may wind up seeing it again once the award season is over. And once, you know, the parade has passed by and it, it will blow me away with all the things I missed the first time, but it's fine. Okay. You should see it. Our number is uh, 8.5. So yeah, check out Minari is out streaming, I believe through eight twenty four. Yes, I think so. I believe it is on, okay. it is on PVOD. Is that what we're calling yeah. it? Anyway. Uh, Premium but yeah, check it out. Exactly. And we'll be talking about, it'll be coming up a lot in the uh, ongoing awards conversation. Yeah. So do keep an eye on it for that. Uh, all right. So, Hey, thanks for watching you guys like this video, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us at be fast all day on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and follow our Patreon page at patreon.com slash be fast all day. A lot of fun stuff exclusively for our members. Uh, we're talking about Bridgerton. We're talking about WandaVision. And uh, later this month, we will be reviewing a classic film for black history month exclusively for our subscribers. So, check that out uh yes christy the second episode of our marvel mondays comes ah. out this monday um nick and i watched the incredible hulk Ooh. from 2008 so we're taking a bit of a step back in terms of quality from that first <laughs> iron man but um this is it was fun to, to do it and uh, thanks to all you guys who listened to the first one we got lots of great feedback oh, and good. very kind words for the series and for nick's little podcast debut so this is going to be a lot of fun and so um, look out monday for episode two of marvel mondays cool. the incredible hulk the movie the mcu tries to pretend never happened uh <laughs> no, that's so thanks for watching hulk right no, no, that, well, that wasn't even MCU, though. That was right. before, you know, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Anyway, uh, have a good week, you guys. Take care of yourselves and each other, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.